Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text before us this evening comes from uh, Luke's Gospel, the very familiar story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We read these words. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So far, the reading of God's word. I want you to imagine this conversation taking place on the side of a road. There's nothing wrong with me, the man said. But sir, you've been in a terrible car accident. You're bleeding and you've got some really deep bruises. There might actually be some internal damage. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, at least have a doctor check you out, sir. I mean, we have an ambulance right here. It wouldn't take very long. I told you. There's nothing wrong with me. But, sir, but then the man walks away from that car accident. His wife picks him up and drives him home. And that evening he dies from internal bleeding. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, that could be a very dangerous thing to say. I mean, spiritually, it's probably the worst thing that a person could possibly say. For a person to stand in front of God and say, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, I got news for you, friends. That's incompatible with Christianity. And it's unacceptable to God. Let me ask this question. What's the opposite of there's nothing wrong with me? Well, obviously it would be there's everything wrong with me. And according to the Bible... A Christian, a Christ follower, is someone who stands before God and says, there is everything wrong with me. A Christian is also someone who says, but Jesus Christ has overcome my sin. He has taken away all things that are wrong with me. Now, today is Ash Wednesday, the very first day of Lent. The question you see is, what exactly is Lent? I mean, what is Lent? All about. Well, hopefully we'll find the answers. We focus on this story that I just read to you a few moments ago where Jesus talks about two very opposite people. One who said, there's nothing wrong with me. And the other one who said, there's everything wrong with me. One of them represents what Lent isn't. And the other one represents what Lent is. And tonight we're going to focus on these two people and see if we can maybe help learn better what Lent really is and what it ought to mean to us today. 
Now, it says that Jesus told this story, and Jesus always had a reason why he told these stories. But it said he told this story to people who were what? Confident in their own righteousness and looked down their noses on everybody. Two men, he said, went up to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. I don't know if you remember much about Pharisees, but the Pharisees were people who lived good, clean lives. They would have been probably wonderful neighbors. The tax collectors were people who swindled and intimidated other people. But both of them actually came to church that day. Both of them came to the temple. Both went there for the same reason, to pray. But very literally in the Bible, it says the Pharisee stood up and prayed, not to God. It says he prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you. Can you imagine somebody standing right in front of the altar? I thank you that I am not like all these other people that are here in worship today. These robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers, and maybe even turn around and point to the back row people. And say, or even like those wicked tax collectors. I mean, after all, I fast, not once, I mean, only once is required, but I fast twice a week, and I give one-tenth of everything I get. Now, you could sum up that prayer this way. I thank you, God, that there's nothing wrong with me. And let's be honest, he was probably, probably right, at least in the eyes of of the community. He was a good citizen. He obeyed the law. He lived a moral and upright life. He even did the religious things that you were supposed to do. He gave a full tithe to his church and he even fasted more than he had to. And really, there was not much wrong with him externally. But then Jesus focuses on this tax collector. And this guy had been stealing money most of his life and then working for the evil Romans to boot. He was ruining the lives of other people so that he could live it up. And I have no doubt as he stood in the back of the temple that day that he knew that his whole life had been a joke. His whole life had been a disaster and he deserved to go to hell the day he died. And Jesus said that the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even walk up to the front. Said he did not even look up to heaven. Probably because he was ashamed to even be there. He was ashamed of his sin. But it said that he beat his breast. And said say very simply, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, that prayer was the direct opposite of the Pharisees. And you can sum it up this way. God, there's everything wrong with me. Help me. Now, Jesus goes on to say that this sinful tax collector, the person that everybody in the community disliked, was the one that was forgiven by God that day and not that perfect Pharisee. Now, a lot of people, I mean, I've told this story for years. I've preached on this for years. And I've actually had some people in Bible class and, or confirmation classes who said, we don't get it. I mean, why did the good guy not get forgiven? Why did the bad guy not get what he was deserving? Well, Jesus answers the question here in this story. He says, everyone who exalts himself, 
I mean, who lifts himself up in his own eyes will be what? Humbled. But he who humbles himself before the Lord will be exalted. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Now, is Jesus saying that you earn the forgiveness of sins by being humble? I mean, look how humble the tax collector is. Says God, is that what happens? I mean, that tax collector deserves to be forgiven because he is, he's so humble. Is that the way it works? Well, you know, that's the way a lot of people who park their posteriors in the pews of parishes think. But that's not how it works. If that's why God forgives you because you are so humble, then your salvation would be completely dependent upon you and your level of humility. And if that were the judgment on the level of your humility and lack of pride, I'm not sure that any of us could ever be sure if we have been forgiven by God or not, because you never know if you have been humble enough for God to forgive you. See, the truth of the matter is, when you read this story, neither one of these people, the Pharisees or the tax collector, deserved God's forgiveness. The Pharisee didn't because he was conceited and self-righteous. The tax collector didn't deserve God's forgiveness because of the terrible life that he had led. Neither one deserved to be forgiven by God. That's bad news. Particularly if you kind of feel like you're in the Pharisee camp or the tax collector camp. But here's the good news. The good news is this. God forgives people purely out of his mercy. And as a result of this undeserved love, this mercy, God forgives all of us for the simple reason that Jesus came into the world to die and take away the sins of the entire world. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, cleansing the entire world of his sin, he now offers forgiveness to everyone. And in this story, God offers forgiveness to both the Pharisee and the tax collector, but only the tax collector received forgiveness. Why? That's because in his mercy, God chooses to forgive only those who humble themselves before the Lord. He forgives those who, who can stand before God and say, there's everything wrong with me. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a, I'm a sinner. Have you ever met people who would say the opposite? I can remember adding a service at a church we were at. We added a contemporary service in a church that already had plenty of church services in the church that seated over a thousand people. And in three months, that service became the largest service we were doing. But it made some people angry. And I still remember a conversation I had with somebody after uh, one day. And the guy said, I, I don't like that service. And I said, what's wrong with it? He says, well, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's attracting the wrong kind of people. And I said, you mean like sinners? He goes, yeah. Now, I didn't say this, but I could have said, you know, Mr. Ferris, so you want to park it somewhere else? But here was a person who felt that he deserved something. He was full of pride in his own pride and looked down upon people who were different. See, humble people 
who recognize their sin and their need for God's help. These are the people that receive forgiveness, uh, not because they earn it, but simply because God shows undeserved love to all people who are humble and sorry for their sins. Now, that's why I chose this text for the night, because I think the humble tax collector is the poster child for Lent. The proud Pharisee, he wouldn't be on my poster. The question is, which one are you? Which one are you? I mean, how are you going to observe Lent this year, 2015? Do you plan to act a little bit more righteous than ever? Kind of ratchet it up a little bit and just do that? You know, that's the way a lot of people observe Lent. They say or they think, I better give up something for Lent. That would be a good thing. I'll look a little bit better, particularly if I tell people about it. I'll tell you what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to watch television during Lent. Now, a few of you just about had cardiac arrest. <laughs> there would be some people who say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to give up chocolate. And a few of you just almost had a stroke with that one. Or I'm going to give up, <laughs> I hate to even say this, but pizza for Lent. Because i got to tell you, Sunday night pizza is a tradition in the cold house for 50 years almost. But see, if I do that, if I give up television, if I give up movies, if I give up Facebook, if I give up texting, if I give up all of that kind of stuff, then people are going to see how, how really religious I am. I mean, God is probably going to be extra happy with me because he's going to look down and says, Oh, look at that sad face on that poor person. They're not eating their chocolate or their pizza or watching television or playing with their Facebook or whatever. But let me ask this question. Is Lent a time of self-denial? Is it a time for giving something up? Well, this evening, Jesus speaks to us through his word. And he tells us that Lent is a time of self-denial. It is a time to give up something. But Jesus Believe it or not, Jesus is not concerned with chocolate and pizza and television and Facebook, whatever. He's concerned with what's going on in our hearts. See, Lent is a time to give up those sins in our lives. You're going to give up something. How about a few sins that you've been kind of hanging on to? It may be time to give up the sin of hypocrisy. You know, acting like a Christian on the outside, but being proud and self-centered on the inside. I mean, Lent could be the time to give up the sin of duplicity. You know, being a Christian on Sunday morning, but a heathen every Friday night in the bars in town. Or it might be the time to give up being lethargic and lazy. You know, someday I'm going to get my act together spiritually. I mean, right now, though, God, I'm just too busy focusing on this and this and this. But I'll get around to you someday. God? I mean, what is Lent? I mean, Lent is that man who stood in the back of the temple and looked down on the ground and prayed to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, Lent, as I go back through it again, is a time to be more like that man, to give up our selfish habits, whatever they may be. To give up our sinful attitudes, our spiritual laziness, and stand before God and say, God, forgive me. 
Wash away my sins. Empower me to turn away from a sinful past and to live a new life that's totally dedicated to you. And then, after we lay our sins before him, Lent is also a time to give up something else. It's a time to give up guilty feelings. See, just as that tax collector walked home justified before God, and I have a feeling he had a little bit of a hop and a skip in his step, we can walk away tonight knowing that we've been forgiven. We can all realize that I mean, we can all say, I, I, I no longer have to feel guilty about my sins. I no longer have to beat myself up the way I've been, about the way I've been living. I, I've been forgiven. My sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can start over. Two weeks ago, I was in Angola prison. It has been known for many years as the bloodiest prison in America. One of the inmate pastors stood up and said, you know what? It still is the bloodiest prison in America. It's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. As a friend of mine would say, that's way cool. That's way cool. You know, it's walking out and saying, I don't know, I don't care where I've been. I can start over. I can work hard to be someone who actually obeys God and lives out my faith uh, who worships God every day with the way that I live. So really, Lent is kind of an attitude, isn't it? It's an attitude of honesty. It's an attitude of humility as we come and humbly confess our sins to God. But it's also an attitude of relief and joy. I mean, knowing that our sins have been forgiven, uh, that our slate has been wiped clean as we seek to serve our God with our lives. So for these next seven weeks, these 40 days, are a time for you to look deep into your heart. To think about your life and think about how you've been living it. I would suggest that every last person here today has what we might call a pet sin. Remember the pet rock? It's just something you don't want to hang on to. You want to hang on to. There's always something in our life that we just, for some reason or another, just don't want to move beyond. But maybe it's time to move beyond. I mean, drop that rock, drop that whatever it is, and begin living. See, Jesus forgives that sin. Jesus washes that sin away at the cross. And Jesus empowers you to live a life that glorifies him. Now, if people want to temporarily give up something at Lent as a sign of love for their Savior, that's fine. I told Nancy on the drive out here tonight that I had my last Starbucks this morning. Now, is that going to make me a better Christian for 40 days not going to Starbucks? No, but it'll make me a slightly wealthier one. <laughs> and on top of that, probably a slightly healthier one. And that's okay. If you want to give up something like that as a sign of your love for your Savior Jesus Christ, that's okay. But more than what you give up, what Jesus is really concerned with is about what's going on in your heart. Tonight, it's like we're starting a long trip. And it is. It's a long walk. 
It's a long walk all the way to the cross. That's where we see how serious and terrible our sins really are. But it's also at the cross where we also see how wonderful and deep our Savior's love is for us. But you know the really cool thing about this long Lenten road is that the long Lenten road doesn't end at the cross. It ends at the empty tomb. When Jesus rises from the dead to prove to prove beyond all shadow of a doubt that your sins indeed are forgiven. And so I pray that God will bless all of us as tonight we begin our Lenten journey. Amen. As we prepare for communion, we're also going to have an imposition of ashes, and I want to speak just a little bit about that before we prepare ourselves. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes, which we place in our forehead, would be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence, that we may remember that it is only by your gracious gift that we are given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So tonight, friends, we are...